Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I am more excited than usual today because my friend and Bible teacher and mentor, Jeff Verdorn, is here in studio with me. And today we're starting a brand new series, and we don't know how long this is going to last. So we're just putting it out there that this could go five weeks or it could go till Christmas. But the name of the series is called, Who is This Jesus? And we're uh, very excited about what's going to happen and how the Holy Spirit's going to lead us. And Jeff, we're excited uh, for the teaching that is going to come uh, from you starting uh, today. Great to be here again, Bill. It's yeah. always fun to be with you, and I'm excited for this series as well. Yeah, now this is, a I, I know, a, a class that you have taught before, but you uh, are bringing fresh enthusiasm to it because you haven't done it in a while, and there is so much packed into this. And I think there's so many people looking for answers to questions and and who is this Jesus and they can learn more, grow more in their own faith and also then be better equipped to share who this Jesus is with other people. You know, if you think about it, everything in the Bible from the beginning to the end in some way, shape or form points to Jesus Christ. Yes. Um, Even I did a study of Hebrews and some of the items in the tabernacle and even the physical items in the tabernacle in, in a way, symbolically point to this person of Jesus Christ. So really, anytime we're studying Scripture, anytime we're, we're, we're in a Bible study, it's pointing to Christ, and it's answering or helping to answer this question, who is Jesus? Mm-hmm. So this series could last a long, long time. Now, can I describe uh, just some of the calisthenics that are going to be in this workout? Sure, absolutely. Things like uh, the divinity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, Old Testament prophecies for Christ— Incarnation of Christ, teachings of Christ, miracles of Christ, it goes on and on, and we're going to cover it all. And it's going to be uh, um, a series, like I I said before, we don't know how long it's going to last, but probably till Christmas. (laughs) This is going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be great. So let's uh, get started, Jeff. Uh, Where would you like to begin? Somewhere in Matthew, I would imagine. I I would. Matthew 16 is this great story. I've actually been to this place called Caesarea Philippi in Israel. It's in northern Israel. And this is where the disciples came to Jesus, Matthew 16, 13. And Jesus said to them, who do people say the Son of Man is? Uh, Remember that title, Son of Man. We'll get to that in a minute. And they replied, verse 14, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, or the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And this study is about this question. Who do we say that this Jesus is? Who is this Jesus? What's his nature, his character. One of the things that we're going to see is, is uh, I have a list. <laughs> really? Yeah, I do. Why does One that not list? surprise me? It, and Jeff Verdorn with a list. It has 
it, it describes how Jesus is described in every book of the Bible. Now, maybe in a couple sessions from now, I'll read through that list. It takes a few minutes to get through it, so I don't know if we'll do it on the air or not. But it's Jesus in every single book of the Bible. And uh, so everywhere points to this person, Jesus Christ. Now, when the disciples said, some say you're Elijah, this is kind of one of these sidebar little interesting notes. Why would they think that the Christ was Elijah? Well, if you go back to the last book of the Bible in Malachi, it God actually tells Israel, see, I will send you Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And so they knew Elijah was going to come back. So Israel would have been looking for this Elijah. Some thought John the Baptist was Elijah. Here they're saying, well, maybe this Jesus is Elijah as well, because God said he was going to send Elijah back to them. But he says, no, Peter answers the question, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So Christ and Messiah, these two words, let's first understand kind of what these words mean. The Messiah in the New Testament is actually translated as Christos, which means Christ, which means the anointed one. In the the anointed one in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word Messiah, which also means anointed one, the Messiah or king, uh, king of the of Israel or king of the Jews specifically. So whenever you see the words Christ or Messiah, they're basically interchangeable. They're the same uh, titles. One's basically in Greek, one's in Hebrew, and it just means the anointed one. So Peter was saying, you are the anointed one, the son of God, which is then the next title. Remember early on in that passage, he says, who do men say that the son of man is? And then Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, son of God. So here's two titles of Jesus that we're going to begin with. Let's understand those. Many people will teach that the Son of Man describes Jesus's humanity, being the Son of Man, and that the Son of God describes his uh, divinity. Because as we will see, uh, Jesus is both man and God. So here's these two truths and these two common descriptions of Christ, Son of Man, Son of God. I actually believe, however, that it's it's actually reversed. It's actually the the opposite of that. I think Son of Man describes his divinity, and the title Son of God describes his humanity. Son of Man is basically a title that says, here is a divine being as a man, mm. that he's divine, but he's appearing as a man. Son of God is really showing that this is a man who is from God. And so I actually think Son of Man describes more of his divine nature and the Son of God more his human nature. So it's God, uh, a man, a divine man, I'm sorry, a divine being as a man and a man who has come from God. Now, I think that's worth repeating, Jeff, only because it's a great thought, and I can't say that I have my, I've ever thought this myself. So do you mind walking us through that one more time? Sure. Let's, let's describe... I think let's let's define more what a son of God is, because that's what Peter said that Jesus was. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Who in Scripture are described as sons of God or son of God? Well, there's only four people or four entities that are described as the son of God. The first one is Adam. Mm -hmm. If you look at the genealogy in the New Testament— Adam, the genealogies go back. So-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of Adam, son of God. 
Why is Adam, the man, called the son of God? It's because God made Adam. Mm -hmm. He came from God. He's a man that was made by God. You, what's your dad's name? Charles. Charles. In your natural state, you are a son of Charles. Yes, I, well, yes. Yes. Charles made you, Mm -hmm. right? You were the product of reproduction. Yeah. Now, in your new self, you're a new creation made by God, born of the Spirit, mm-hmm. and now you're a son of, of God. God. Okay, so that's the second category. Believers are called sons of God. So mm. Adam is made by God. We as believers are made by God. There's another group called sons of God, and that's angels. Angels were not the product of reproduction, but they were made by God. So they are called sons of God. Both in Job and in Genesis, angels are called sons of God because they're made by God. Now, Jesus is called the son of God because he was made by God. Now, we got to be careful here because was Jesus pre-existing before he came to earth? Yes. Of course he was. This is his incarnation. Right. So what does it mean? It means his body was made by God in the womb of a virgin. And so Mm -hmm. when we get to the incarnation of Jesus in more detail in a few sessions, we'll talk about this a lot more. But Jesus is the son of God because God made his physical body that he became incarnate in. Not the product of reproduction. Correct. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's the son of God. That shows that he's a man from God. All right. Okay. And then the other one, remember when Daniel and the fiery furnace... Uh, was going on, and they were the Rackshack and Benny. I'm sorry, that's their, that's their nicknames. <laughs> Radshack. That's Mish- Veggie Tales, isn't yeah, it? That is Veggie Tales. I love that Veggie Tales. <laughs> uh, their full names were Radshack, Meshack, and De- Abendigo. Yeah, there you go. I like their nicknames better. Uh, and they were thrown into the furnace. Mm-hmm. But then remember, there was a fourth man in the yeah. furnace, and they say there was another one in the furnace who looked like the Son of Man. What they were saying is there's a divine being in there too. That looks like a man. Mm. So see how these two titles, I think, are actually reversed to how they're commonly taught. Yeah, that's real interesting. Cool. So Jesus, we're off to a good start. Jeff Redorn is my guest, and we're starting a brand new series called Who is This Jesus? And this is going to last a long time. Matter of fact, I think we need a jingle. I think we're going to need a jingle for this series. <laughs> you know, maybe you've got a melody in your head, and maybe you can... Sing it and sing it on your iPhone and email it to me at bill at myfaithradio.com. You might get that coveted position of your jingle being our theme jingle. I bet there's some creative people out there. Oh, I bet there there is too. Yeah. All right. So didn't mean to interrupt. Well, I did mean to interrupt. All right. So let's keep going. So we have, so let's now turn to the very beginning of the New Testament, Right. So in there's four Gospels that describe the basically the birth, the life, the teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I want to turn to John because it starts like this. In the beginning. Oh, where have we seen that before? Well, this the pattern of this John chapter 1 is very similar to Genesis chapter 1 where God says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we all think that it's God that created the universe, right? Well, in John 1, he picks up this kind of pattern, but with a twist. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let's pause there for a second. 
we have John has just equated the word with God, right? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So the word equals God. Verse 2. He was with God in the beginning. Well, now we're getting this glimpse of this word is now a he. So it's a person. Through him, this he, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Drop down to verse 10, and it says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The world, and then finally in verse 14, we find out very clearly and very specifically who this word is, who this he is that John is talking about. And verse 14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we have the word equals God, actually equals light, equals love, equals Jesus Christ. It's this first glimpse of this New Testament concept, which is actually hinted at in the Old Testament as well, of this triune nature of God, which we're going to talk about today. But in at, at this point, let's cover this very simple truth, that though Genesis 1-1 says that God created everything, we now learn from the New Testament that it's through Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, that the universe was made. That though the world was made through him, right, the world did not recognize him, God, the creator of all, came to this earth and made his dwelling amongst us. And unfortunately, we know the back of the gospel, that even though he was the creator of all, and God comes to man in the form of the person of Jesus Christ, man then ends up killing God. And we'll get to that too. No one has ever seen God, verse 18, but the one and only Son, who he himself, God, did you hear that? Mm -hmm. Who he himself, God, and is in close relationship with the Father, has made him known. So here's the first testimony, and when I think we'll go to break, and when we get back, we'll continue to discuss this idea that Jesus is described as God all over Scripture. I love that. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're starting a brand new series today called Who is This Jesus? And we will be back in just a minute. Day one of a new series with Jeff Ferdorn, and you thought the fireworks were last night. No, they're today. <laughs> so we're excited. Who is this Jesus? That is the name of the series. And, and just because this is the first uh, first day of the series, and we're going to probably be doing this for months, I think, maybe up until Christmas, uh, I think we need a little who is this Jesus jingle. So maybe maybe you're good on the guitar or the piano or you can sing. Maybe... 
You can sing a jingle or play a jingle. Jeff, you got a, a, ch- a son who's a musician. Maybe he wants to get in the in the frame. I, do. I don't know if he's ever written a jingle, but he is a worship leader. Yeah, so maybe we. Uh, I'll reach out to him. <laughs> okay, text yeah. him, would you? Yeah, he will... started work today. Actually, oh, so good for he him. Just, he graduated from college and just started working. Good, well, congratulations. All right, so let's get back into uh, our study of who is this Jesus. I think we're going to look at John ten ten to get things started again. Yeah, so that's John ten is this story. Well, let me tell you a story first. I was, Julie and I, my wife, were on vacation down in Mexico, and we were doing one of those parasailing things. You know, you get on the boat, and you get into the parasailer, and you go up, and I was scared to death anyway. <laughs> I got to talking to this lady who was with us on the boat, and we started talking about things of faith and Jesus, and she she says at one point, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. And I said, well, why do you think they killed him? Because he claimed to be God. And I quoted from John 10, and I wanted to read this passage here. It says in John 10, verse 24, The Jews who are now gathered together around him were saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us. Well, he had told them, and he made it clear that he was the Messiah. Again, the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Jesus wanted to know why they were trying to kill him. And he says this in verse 33, We are not stoning you for any of the good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And I quoted this passage to her, and I said, You know, those who were around Jesus in the day understood that Jesus was claiming to be God, and that is actually why They tried to kill him and eventually did succeed at killing him. I think one of the strongest arguments for this idea that Jesus is just a good person or was a moral teacher or whatever you think about Jesus, that he did not leave that open. Jesus claimed to be God, and that's either true or it isn't. C.S. Lewis actually has a great quote. Do Do you want to read that? C.S. Lewis quote? Oh, I'd be more than happy to. This is from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. That's huh. from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. If if you've never read Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis is just wonderful to read. His logic is so strong, and uh, he's just a joy to read. He is one of the great Christian writers uh, uh, that that I know. But this this whole kind of concept, this argument, liar, lunatic, or Lord argument— 
is attributed to him. When I was studying for this class, I actually discovered that Watchman Nee, who lived before um, uh, C.S. Lewis, actually wrote something very similar uh, very quickly. He said this, Watchman Nee said, First, if he claims to be God and yet, in fact, is not, he has to be a madman or a lunatic. Second, if he is neither God nor a lunatic, he has to be a liar, deceiving others with his lie. Third, if he is neither of these, then he must be God. You can only choose one of these three possibilities. Um, Both of these make the case that Jesus claimed to be God, it's either true or it's not. There is no other option. When you really think about the claims of Christ, because he claimed to be God, you cannot just say like so many different religious systems in this world, for example, Judaism will say that Jesus is a false Messiah because they are expecting a real Messiah still. Israel is still expecting the Messiah to come. Hinduism calls Jesus just a moral teacher. Jehovah Witnesses say that Jesus was Michael, the archangel who came to earth. Mormonism says that Jesus was a spirit child of God, not God in the flesh, but an offspring, a child, a spiritual child of God. Uh, Christian science says that he is the man who displays the Christ ideal. Uh, in Scientology, he's not mentioned at all. In New Age, he's the, the guru, the ascended master. In Islam, he's a prophet. Of, of Allah. These conclusions logically are, are just not valid. He claimed to be God. You cannot, you cannot say that Jesus is a great moral teacher, but also say that he lied about being God. Mm-hmm. What about this, Jeff? Uh, over 100 million Bibles are sold or given away for free every year in the world. Can you move that much product based on a lie? <laughs> you know, there is there is a number of stories that shows and statistics that shows the supernatural nature of God's Word. It has been protected and preserved. It has been translated. It has been spread around the world. It has been persecuted. People have tried to stomp it out. People have banned it, prohibited it, and yet this Bible is still the number one selling book of all time. Mm. Not going anywhere. Not going anywhere. All right, Jeff, I think before we uh, move on, I think it's time for one more uh, break. So we will uh, take that now. Jeff Verdorn is my guest here in studio. We're starting a brand new series today called Who is This Jesus? And if you've uh, missed any of this so far, you have to go to the beginning. And just go to MyFaithRadio.com, check it out, go to the Afternoons with Bill show page, it'll be there. And I'm also uh, starting to look for a nice little jingle for this series. So if you've got a a musical jingle in your head, uh, maybe sing it on your iPhone or plunk it out on the piano or get out your guitar. I'd just love to to see what you have for me. Email it over, Bill at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be back in just a minute.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome back to the show. If it feels like uh, Monday to you, uh, yeah, for good reason. Because it's not. It's Tuesday. If you're just checking in, I hope you had a great weekend celebrating with family and people you love. We are starting today a brand new series, A Study with Jeff Verdorn, and we are uh, entitling it, Who is This Jesus? And it will carry on for many, 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 many sessions, hopefully probably through the end of the year, Christmas time, I I figure we'll wrap things up. So I'm looking forward to this. And Jeff, uh, let's pick up where we left off. I think we're just kind of doing a little bit of a 30,000 foot view, aren't we? Just to get things started. We are. So one of the things that we should do right up front in discussing who is this Jesus is this idea of the triune nature of God. Because if you if you understand that the New Testament is really the fulfillment of the Old Testament, well, the Old Testament, uh, which was, uh, you know, the Israel's word of God, in Deuteronomy, in, in verse ch- uh, chapter 6, verse 4, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is called the Shuma or the saying, and it's a central teaching of Judaism that that we have one God. Remember, many, many of the cultures around Israel in the day were polytheists. They believed in multiple gods, a God for everything, a God of, you know, the harvest, a God of fertility, a God of the water, of the Nile, of the whatever. Many, many gods, polytheism. Israel was relatively unique in this world in that they worshiped one God, a monotheistic religion, and that is the worship of one God. So one of the complaints by some many in Judaism, as well as, by the way, in Islam, one of the common complaints of Christianity is that we're polytheists because we worship Jesus as God and we worship God as God and, of course, the Holy Spirit as God. And this has, this is this concept of the triune nature of God or the Trinity. So God has revealed himself in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, many have tried to um, come up with examples of how to picture the idea of one God and three persons. And so two of the most common that I hear when people are teaching this, one is water. Water can be in a solid state, frozen. It can be in a liquid state at room temperature, and it can be in a gaseous state. Right, So three different states, but it's still water. The problem with that image is that water can't be a solid, a liquid, and a gas all at the same time. The same is the issue is with an egg. So I don't know if you've ever heard this, that I people have. use the mm-hmm. egg as the example of the Trinity. So the shell, the yolk, and the... What's, I don't remember the name of the white part now off the top of my head, but the three parts is still is one egg. Well, the problem is, is that the shell is not an egg. The yolk is not an egg. They are three parts of a whole, but each of the individual parts is not an egg. You need all three parts together in order to make an egg. So and it, you need a bunch of eggs to make an omelet. You do. <laughs> well, at I'm least, just saying, I'm trying to be helpful here. At least two or three. Oh, yeah, at least three. So, very good point. <laughs> and... Yeah, so the, the I have seen a picture, and I, I uh, this is probably the best description. A th- picture a triangle with God the Father at one point, God the Son at another point, and God the Holy Spirit at the other point. 
God is in the middle. So the Father is God, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son. So these are the lines of the triangle on the outside. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. But all three are God, but together they are also God. And the only picture that I think we have to help understand this is us. We, as described by Scripture, are a three-part being. Paul says in Thessalonians, may your whole body, your soul, and your spirit be kept until the day of the Lord or something, something. You are a three-part being. You are body, soul, and spirit. Yet you are one person. Hmm. Now, it falls, this even falls short in the in this sense. My my. My body can't be on earth and my spirit in heaven, you know, and it, like God has done in reality. So it falls short. But if we are made in the image of God and the image and, and the characteristics of God have been replicated, if you will, in mankind because we've been made in his image and his likeness, we are a three-part being just as God is a three-part being. So I actually think man and understanding that man is a three-part being is probably the best example of trying to understand this triune nature of God, because it's hard for us in our finite minds to really comprehend a God representing himself as three persons. But clearly, Scripture does that. And that's okay with me. Yep. And so we see at Jesus's baptism. Jesus is is in the water being baptized by John the Baptist. We hear a voice from heaven saying, this is my son, that's God the Father. And then we see the Spirit descending on Jesus, uh, like, a, you know, coming down from heaven uh, onto Jesus. So just right there, we see the three persons of the Trinity. And even back in the Old Testament, the, the Jewish scholars should have seen when he said things like, let us make man in our image. Well, there's your first clue that something's going on with this nature of God uh, that is this this pluralistic this this triune nature of God is at a glimpse from the very very beginning of the Bible. Mm. So, and I also want to pick out that verse out of Deuteronomy chapter six verses four to six, uh, where they would repeat this morning and evening the Shema: "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength." So you know when we're told to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, there's a little bit of a indication as to three parts in one. There is. There's there's three in its kind of in description on how we worship him. Yeah. And you know, I've I've heard Christians speak about, you know, when you pray, should we pray to the Father? Should we pray to the Son? Should we pray to the Spirit? Which one do we pray to? Do we need to pray to all three? You know, should we pray to him individually? Which one we do we do we pray to? And I my answer is always yes. Right? If Christ is God, and you pray to Christ, are you praying to God? The answer is yes. Now, they have represented themselves in three persons. So I always think about this, and I think this is the model that we see, for example, in the Lord's Prayer. We pray to God in the power of the Spirit in Jesus' name, right? But uh, I, I often pray, Lord, help me do this or do this, or Lord, I need you for this. And many times I'm thinking of the person of Jesus, like, Lord, help me. Christ, help me. Um, so, but it, it, they're all God, mm-hmm. right? So I would say pray <laughs> yeah. to God, the Father, and so on. So the divinity of Christ, 
we have this idea that Christ is eternal in nature. He's the creator of all. He's the man from heaven. He is the, as Matthew says, Emmanuel, God with us. So when we look at some of the characteristics of the person of Jesus, let's see how they line up with the person and characteristics that we see of of God in the Old Testament, right? And this is actually a really cool list. God is called the Almighty. Jesus is described as Almighty. God is described as holy. Jesus is holy. God is described as a rock. Jesus is described as a rock. God is called the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And of course, in Revelation, Jesus is described as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. God is described as faithful and true. Jesus is described as faithful and true. God is called the King of Kings in the Old Testament, Zechariah 14.9, and the Lord of Lords. But in Revelation 19.16, Jesus is returning to earth. And what does he have written on his robe and on his thigh? The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is that is a divine title. That is a, a, a the Almighty God title that now is written on Jesus as he's coming back to earth. God is called our Savior. Jesus is called our Savior. God said, my name is I Am. Right? Remember Moses at the at the burning bush? Who shall I say sent me? And he says, say that I am sent you. Jesus uses that phrase, I am, multiple times in the gospel. He's called the Lord of glory. Jesus is called the Lord of glory, and he's called the King of the Jews, our Savior, and so is Jesus. I mean, they share so many descriptions, so many titles. Jesus is is described in an omnipotent way and an omniscient way and an immutable way in the Gospels. So is God is described as omniscient, omnipotent, and uh, and immutable. Um, so the the it just goes on and on. One of my favorite stories, actually two. Jesus is sleeping in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Um, we were when we I've been to Israel three times and we've always taken this trip out on the Sea of Galilee and it is one of the most powerful moments while in Israel that I've had and all three times we've read the stories either Jesus calming the seas or Peter walking on the water or both of them a couple of stories that occur on the Sea of Galilee well in Luke 8 it says that Jesus when the disciples were getting all nervous and the wind and the waves were coming and he's asleep they wake him up we're, we're all going to die Jesus wake up and he he wakes up and you know the story he commands the winds and he commands the seas and the wind and the waves all stop and what do they say they say who is this man they they didn't understand yet that this is the creator of all things in the boat with them. And that's why Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. You don't understand who's in the boat. I'm the maker of the wind and the waves. And they would have known from the Old Testament that only God can calm the wind and the waves. Psalm 107. So, so who is, is this? That is exactly where I was going, Bill. Oh, sorry. Psalm 107, no, that's perfect. Oh, good. That Psalm 107 says of God, he stills the storm to a whisper. The waves of the seas were hushed. So we often read this passage and we think, oh, look at Jesus has the power to calm the wind and the wave. What a cool story. But one of the aspects we don't, we should read Psalm 107 every time we read him 
calming the seas, because that is what I believe was the main point of this. He's pointing to Israel that he is the one, the God Almighty, comes to earth in the form of the man, has power over the wind and the waves. Very cool. Thank you for bringing that up. That's exactly where we were going. Yeah, I'm scrambling right now for Psalm 107, because I want to see how, how many verses it is. Uh, verse 29. Psalm 107, 29? 29, yeah. Do I have the wrong reference? or I don't, No, I don't think you do. I'm just double-checking here. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. Yeah. Fantastic, yeah. That's great. Is I think it's time to take another break, okay. although I don't want to. After that description of God, of God I, I think we needed to give people a chance to uh, wipe a tear of joy that they're having on their face okay. right now. Amen, amen. Because it's so powerful. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We're starting a brand new series, which started today called Who Is This Jesus? And it'll run for a while. We'll be right back. If you're like me, and I know I am, I'm going to want to listen to this again. So if you've missed any of this, uh, you definitely want to go to MyFaithRadio.com. Check out the Afternoons with Bill show page. And up on the um, show page will be Who Is This Jesus, which is a brand new series we're starting today with Bible teacher, friend, and mentor Jeff Verdorn. As you know him by now, he's a regular on the show. And we are uh, just jumping into kind of starting with a 30,000-foot view, but boy, are we going to go deep on this, and it'll probably last till Christmas. Hmm. You just said, you are you. You know that. I did say that, yeah. 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 (laughs) Uh, So we're in the divinity of Christ, this triune nature of God, the shared powers or shared characteristics that Jesus shares with God. So the last one we just said was uh, that he calms the winds and the seas, and that we know is what God does in Psalm uh, 107. The next one is this idea of the power to forgive sins. Now, all of Israel would have known that only God forgives sin. So Isaiah, for example, 40, chapter 43, verse 25 says, I, yes, I alone, God is speaking, will blot out your sins. So it's God who is the one who forgives. But we go to this story in Matthew chapter 9 of the paralyzed man. You you recall it. It's the paralyzed man. They couldn't get this guy in to see Jesus to get healed. So they go up onto the roof and they lower this man down from the ceiling in front of Jesus. And they, they ask then Jesus to heal this man. And it says this in the passage. It says, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Verse 6, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. Then he said to the paralyzed man, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. He's basically saying, what's harder to do? To heal the paralytic man so that he can walk again, or to forgive a person of of their sin? And so he says, to prove to you that I have the power to forgive sin that only God can do, I'm going to prove it to you by healing this man and having him walk out. And that's exactly what happened. And Israel was incensed. Who is this man? He's claiming to forgive sins. We're going to have to do something about this. And the plot starts to thicken that the Jewish leaders now were going to do something about this man named Jesus. 
So these are some of the things that are the shared powers with God that Jesus is described of having these powers, just like God is described as having certain powers. But one of the coolest ones, this is often missed, by the way, in the descriptions of showing the divinity of Christ, and that is the power to raise the dead. It says in Acts 2 that Jesus was raised by the power of God. It's God that raised Jesus from the dead. But in 1 Peter 3, Peter describes this resurrection as having been accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's by the Holy Spirit that Jesus was raised by the dead. So it was by the Spirit's power. Ephesians 1, 2 goes there. Does it? Mm-hmm. 1, 2? No, no, Ephesians chapter 1 goes there also. Okay. And then in, in John chapter 2, Jesus says, and Jesus answers them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Well, the verse goes on to say that then they realized that he was not talking about the temple, but his own body. And so God raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, and Jesus raised Jesus from the dead. Well, who was it? The answer is, it was God (laughs) in the three persons of God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Isn't that kind of cool? And that's the resurrection. It's really, really cool. Yeah. So we've had this idea, and look, we could spend till Christmas discussing <laughs> the Trinity, right? Which we probably will. I mean, well, it Not will, the Trinity, but yeah. It will keep coming up at yes. times. But in this first session, we are asking the question, who is this Jesus? And, you know, the, this story in John 14 uh, is Philip. Uh, I love this story because I have a feeling that that I probably would have asked a similar question. You have a man born in Bethlehem, right, raised up uh, in Nazareth, living up near the Sea of Galilee, basically saying these things that I'm God. And you don't understand it. You have a Jewish understanding. You have an understanding of the law and Jewish traditions and so on. You don't, we don't have the New Testament yet to declare all the truths that now Paul and Peter and John have shared with us in the New Testament. And this guy comes along and says these things. You know, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. I'm the Son of Man. I'm the Christ and so on. So Philip says, let me read this because I see a lot of me in this passage. Lord, show us the Father. And that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I mean, that would have been completely (laughs) mind-blowing to have someone tell you that if you've seen me, you have seen God the Father. Because remember... In the Old Testament, no one has ever seen God and lived. Remember Moses and the story when he wanted to see God's face and and God says, no, I can't show you my face. That's impossible because you won't live. So I'll let my presence pass by you. And so he hid Moses in a cleft of a rock and he passed by him. But Jesus came from the Father. We'll talk about this next time. And he came from God. When he said, before Abraham was, I am, he declares that he is the man from heaven that came from God and, in fact, is God in the flesh. So he can say, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. 
And that is the concept, then, of the virgin-born Jesus, that he was, behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So you've probably heard it said or described that Jesus is all God and all man. He's fully God and he's fully man. When he came down to earth in his incarnation, he was God incarnate in human form. This is, I mean, this is another concept that's very difficult to understand. Well, how does the God of the universe dwell in human flesh, in human form? Well, it says in Colossians 1, for example, that Jesus was the image of the invisible God. First Timothy 3 says that God was manifested in the flesh. Jesus, as a man, this is actually another powerful testimony that of Christ's divinity. Jesus accepted the worship of many. Matthew 28, for example, when they saw them, saw him, they worshiped him. The only being that accepts worship in Scripture is God. When angels come, they don't accept worship. In fact, there's this great story of John who sees this angel in the book of Revelation, and he bows down and worships the angel. And the angel says to him, John, get up. I'm just a servant, just like you. Worship God alone. So the angels do not receive worship. Peter, some people tried to worship Peter in Acts uh, Acts chapter 10, where, but Peter did not accept their worship. He said, worship God, worship God alone. Jesus accepted the worship of others because he is God in the flesh. Cool. Yeah. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That is so mind-blowing. Even as we talk about it right now, it's mind-blowing. It is. And I don't you see yourself in Philip there? It's like you have been studying and had this idea of God since you were a child, and you've probably been learning about him, studying the scriptures about him, trying to follow his law, doing sacrifices to him, and the man comes. You have an, a concept of a Messiah, right? We see the concept. We'll talk about this n- next session, that there is in the Old Testament plenty of of prophecies that point to this person who's going to come called the Christ, called the Messiah, mm-hmm. this anointed one who is going to come. We'll see that. So they had a concept. They didn't have a concept that Jesus was going to be God himself in the flesh. And so I see myself in Philip. Oh, I believe you're the Messiah. Can you show us God too? <laughs> don't you know me, Philip? Yeah. Have you already, have you been with me this long and you don't know me? Mm. So, so in fact, as long as we're here, let's talk about this a little bit, because this is a concept of, of the fact that in the Old Testament, God appears in physical form in a number of stories in the Old Testament, just a couple of them. We see before Joshua, an angel of the Lord appears. By the way, Joshua worships that quote unquote angel. Well, who is this guy? It says that that uh, that Jacob wrestled with God. Well, how can a man wrestle with God? If you can't even see God the Father, how do you wrestle with God? There's a number of these stories where God seems to appear in the physical form. These are called, theologically, a theophany or a Christophany. A theophany is basically a manifestation of God in 
a, a human sense. A Christophany is more specific. It's the manifestation of God as basically the person of Christ. I think there's a number of these manifestations of God in physical form, which is a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ coming to earth. Those are theophanies. And we see these in the Old Testament. And that's coming up in further episodes <laughs> of will, Who is This Jesus? We will get to that more, yes. Bible teacher Jeff Verdorn. Jeff, this could be a really uh, fascinating, fun, exciting series. We have a lot to cover. As we said at the beginning, really the study of Scripture is a study of the person of Christ. Mm-hmm. And the Old Testament points to his coming. The New Testament points basically points to what he's done and taught and made available to us by faith through great, his grace uh, and this great salvation that has now come and obviously points to his second coming as well, which we'll get towards the end of this study. Mm-hmm. Great start. I'm excited. Uh, who is this Jesus? And we're going to be doing this for a while. So I just had a thought that if you have uh, a jingle for us for this, uh, the theme to this series uh, I'll take them all because I'll probably use them all. So if you want to bang something out on the piano or get out your guitar or maybe sing something to your iPhone, let me know what it is. What would you come up with? Keep it short, like, you know, eight seconds. Uh, email bill at myfaithradio.com. That's all the show we have for today. Thanks very much, Jeff, for being here. And thanks oh, to bet, Peter Kapsner for helping today. Have a great night, everyone, and I will see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.